This is the Inclusion Think Tank podcast brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education, NJCIE, where we talk about inclusive education, why it works, and how to make it happen. On today's episode, I welcome my guest, Dr. Jessica McQuestin. Dr. McQuestin is an assistant professor at Sam Houston State University. On this episode, which is part one of our conversation, Jessica and I discuss the important role that higher education professionals have in educating future educators about inclusive education and why it is important to use appropriate language when discussing disabilities. I would like to welcome everyone back to another episode of the Inclusion Think Tank podcast brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education. I am your host, Arthur Aston, and I am happy to have my guest on today with me, Dr. Jessica McQuestin. So Jessica, thank you for joining me today. It is a pleasure to uh, have you on and to see you again. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be on here. Yes, yes. Uh, I, um, you and I, we, we had a chance to talk um, a few weeks ago uh, about this conversation and um, I'm really excited for, uh, you know, for the information that we will be sharing and uh, discussing uh, today on the podcast. Uh, so to get started, can you share with us a little bit about yourself and tell us who is Jessica? And also, um, can you share with us how you became interested in the world of inclusive education. Yeah, so I'm Dr. Jessica McQuestin, um, but I go by Jessica. I even tell my students, I'm like, just, it's fine. Like, <laughs> I'm not concerned about a title. <laughs> um, and so I'm currently an assistant professor at Sam Houston State University, which is about an hour north of Houston, Texas. Um, and so I just joined the faculty here um, this year. And so I was at a previous institution for two years. So, um, you know, definitely fun to start during COVID as a faculty member. Um, prior to this, I was a K through six special educator, general educator, you know, even a literacy interventionist for a bit. I, I just feel like you know, it depended on the week. I feel like it was <laughs> what my job title was. Um, and as special educators, I feel like that's kind of the name of the game is we are flexible. We do what needs to happen for our students. Um, I also am someone with a disability. And so I know we'll talk about language a little bit later, um, but I experienced disability about 10 years ago. And so you know, one thing that I think is important is, you know, I was always seen as like, you know, I embrace this mentality of like, oh, I'm helping others. You know, I don't need accommodations. I don't need support. And, you know, again, about 10 years ago, life happened, you know, this diagnosis, that diagnosis, whatever. And so I've had to kind of adjust and like view my change or like kind of process this change of like, accepting help and needing help and like navigating that. Um, and so I will say in the last like three to four years, I've really started to embrace my identity as someone with a disability. And, um, you know, I would around that time too, I started to kind of really take ownership and say like, no, I'm disabled. And again, I know we'll talk about the power of language um, in a little bit, but, you know, 
I, I view it as a positive and it's part of my identity. And um, I share that with my students, with anyone I work with. I'm pretty open about it because I think there's nothing to hide about it. Like I'm not ashamed of my disability at all. Um, so what really drove me to inclusive education? Well, um, I really, it, it really stems honestly from my childhood. So I went to school in Texas, um, in the Houston area, like my K through 12 schooling. <laughs> and, um, we didn't really have student disabilities around. Mm -hmm. And so I know, you know, some of this is shifting and, um, but students, especially with the most extensive or complex support needs, they were in a totally different wing. Like they were not allowed, like quote unquote, allowed to come out and be with anyone else without a disability. I think there was this fear, like they may get us sick or, you know, like they can't handle it. And I know we, we still see some of that today mm -hmm. with segregation, but, um, you know, really just seeing students excluded in schools. Um, and then I think what really hit home of why we need inclusive education for me was in middle school, uh, my mom was a special education paraprofessional and um, started volunteering with Special Olympics because several of her students were participating in Special Olympics. And so all of a sudden I realized that there were students that I had gone to school with since I was like in kindergarten and first grade that I had never knew. And they literally lived in my neighborhood, right? And I had no idea they were the same grade as me. And so that was really kind of eye-opening to me of like, wow, this is problematic. You know, even as a 12, 13 year old, I recognized that like, this should not be happening. And so um, when I started to look for colleges, I wanted to look at both special education and um, general education and specifically elementary education because of those experiences, because of realizing that this is still happening, students are still segregated. And, um, and so I ended up going to the University of New Mexico for their dual license program. So I was able to graduate with a general education and special education license to teach. And so I really um, enjoyed that because it focused in on inclusive education and I felt like I could kind of bridge that gap between these like often like siloed communities in schools. And so um, I, I thought it, that I could help bridge that gap. Um, and then, you know, of course, then I got into schools as a new teacher and realized, wow, this is still happening. <laughs> it's not just mm -hmm. from when I was a kid in the 90s, like the early 90s, late 80s, you know, all that is this still happening? And 2009 is when I started teaching. So um, yeah, I just, I see the value in it. Um, I've, you know, advocated for that with my students with disabilities as a teacher. And so I just really, um, I am very passionate about inclusive education. Right, that was a very long answer to that. <laughs> no, it was, it was great though. And it, it showed that you know, you, I always say it's so interesting how kids, children understand things a lot better sometimes than adults do. <laughs> and I know. And as it's a child, you realize like, hey, wait, this is a whole group of people that live in my neighborhood that are the same age as me that I don't know, that I've never seen before. 
And right. like, what is that about? Like you, you had questions about that. And that was, um, that when you said that, I was like, wow, like that's really, uh, like that's, that's really wild to think about. And, um, but the fact that you noticed it as a child yourself to say like, wait, something, something's not right here. You know, what, what yeah. is, uh, and how can we fix it? And how can you be a part of making that change is, um, you know, really impressive to, uh, you know, to have those, those thoughts as a, as a child and to really recognize that, um, again, that, that something's just not right about this. There's something, uh, something that needs to be done. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you did give that answer and, and shared, um, so much of, of your, your own story, because I think, um, you know, in sharing these stories, I, I really, I say all the time with the guests that we have, um, you know, your, your passion and um, your dedication to making the world more inclusive in, in education, um, you know, it really shows. And then, you know, when you tell your story, it's like, oh, okay, because you've been thinking about this for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> so like, it know, makes sense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's not absolutely. just something that just popped into your head, like, oh, I want to do this. And it's like, no, you really, right. you really noticed the, the need for the change. And, um, you know, then yeah. you, you made it your, your career path and, and you're uh, oh. doing, doing great things. <laughs> I mean, I try. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. As we all do, right? <laughs> yes, we all do. We're all giving our best, I feel like, yes, every day. <laughs> absolutely, for sure. Uh, so this season on the podcast, we're focusing on those in school leadership positions and how they can impact and influence uh, the inclusive school environment. So as a professor who is educating the next generation of educators, what role and influence do you feel higher education professionals have on the future of inclusive education? Oh, I feel like that's a, you know, a, a huge question. And um, I really view it as like, okay, let me back up. Like in society, we obviously know that we want, like so many of us are fighting for inclusive education, inclusive housing, inclusive, inclusive you know, environments and communities. And yet we still are like having this fight, right? And so one of the things that I think about as a, you know, as a professor is that um, we have that impact on future educators that are going out in the field and, you know, can ultimately be the people that advocate for inclusive educations, uh, education for students with disabilities. And so I really view it as like, we're setting the tone in higher ed so what we allow students to, um, and when I say students, I mean university students, you know, um, but what we allow university students to, um, you know, submit for their uh, classes and um, how they talk about students with disabilities and how we perpetuate or um, address language on how we talk about students with disabilities, it really sets the tone for their career. So if we as, you know, higher ed professionals, if we don't kind of set that tone, set that expectation and kind of address that they're going to hear some negative remarks in schools, they're going to um, hear some outdated language, they're going to hear, you know, and see these things, but here's how they can advocate for it and here's how they can change. I really feel like, you know, what we do is so important because not only um, do we have the ability to change the future for, you know, 
a group of students, like K through 12 students each year. But really, when I'm preparing pre-service educators, you know, if I'm like, for example, I'm working with between my two undergrad classes, I have, I think, like 45 to 50 students. And so I'm ultimately impacting, you know, 50 times 25 students um that they'll have each year and so what we do here in higher ed I think is so important like we're the starting point um and we have to kind of open their eyes to the value of inclusive education and um really being advocates for students with disabilities I also think you know at, and most many um you know programs for pre-service teachers might only have one class on special education. And so especially if they're general educators, they might have that one class. And so when we think about, wow, we have this one opportunity, we have this 15 weeks, this one semester to make this change, you know, in how they think. Because again, I can't control what other professors are teaching, um, not only at my institution, but all institutions across the US. Like, I don't have that ability. I would love to have a magic wand and just say like, <laughs> teach inclusive education, teach, you know, the power of language, teach this, but I don't, right? And so um, I really think that, you know, we are the starting point where we set the tone for um, for how they talk about students because we're not kind of fixing issues. We're like teaching them from the ground up. And so, that's one thing that keeps me in higher education because yes, I do miss being in the classroom. Um, even with all the chaos the last few years, there's there's times I'm like, oh, I wish I could just go back in the classroom. I I really miss it. I miss working with the kids and I love it. And then I think about like, okay, but not only am I impacting one class over this year, like I'm impacting hundreds if not thousands of students every year because I'm teaching their future teachers. Wow. Yeah, that is, wow, that's so true. Like you said, for however many students they're teaching each year, you have an impact because they're taking the knowledge that you gave them in their in their courses and they're taking it with them into their professions. And um, again, like you said, that's really, um, it's very interesting that you said uh, they may only have one special education course um you know and, and they're expected to learn so much in just a 15 week semester when yeah. you know there's so much information there and and you can hope that you know that students will you know continue to learn on their own and educate themselves about certain topics and look more uh look deeper into certain things that are covered in the class um but just the fact that they only are required to take the one <laughs> course in special education that is uh you know that that's that's a lot to take in and, and like you said in just one short semester 15 weeks goes by very quickly <laughs> yeah. well and there's also programs that don't even have a whole class mm -hmm. like you know my previous institution it was just a few weeks of one class and so you imagine like you like we as professors like we have to make such a big impact when we only have one class or only one part of a class like it's so important and so i just I really feel like, you know, if we want to make this change, like, you know, we talk about how many students are excluded. I know we had talked about this um, on our like before meeting of like how many students are still excluded and segregated from their peers. 
you know, without disabilities. And so if we want to change that, we have to kind of get this new generation that are going out into the field and really make this impact and really be strong advocates. Yes, for sure. And it's, um, again, that whole, the like, I, I just kind of like visualized what you were saying of, you know, you're, you're teaching this group of, of uh, current university students, but then they'll go on to teach for, for years. I know, you know, I know teachers that have been teaching for 30 and 40 years. Right. <laughs> so just yeah. to think of um, that greater impact that you have on, um, you know, on students and it's, it, really, it made me think of myself, honestly, because I also have a disability and the children that I interact with, um, with my friends who have kids and my niece and my nephew and um, just people that I encounter out in the world and um, the experience that I can give them of learning about my disability and what it means and why I have to use a wheelchair or why I have to use crutches, you know, it can make them, uh, you know, a more kind, uh, person to someone they meet in school who has a disability and, you know, not think that it's strange that they have to use crutches and they can think of me and say, you know, it's not a, not a problem. It's not a big deal that, you know, Johnny right. in my class has to, has to use a wheelchair. So exactly. it's, um, you know, it's, it's all in the, um, the interactions that we have with people that can really, um, have an impact on the broader, uh, community around us and, um, you know, beyond what we can even, you know, reach ourselves as, as just one person. Yeah, I also think about like, you know, obviously like I went to school, you know, this wasn't that long ago, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, well, maybe I am a little bit old, but you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, the early nineties, like I was in schools. And so like, I think about like, that's really not that long ago that and that's still happening, right? And mm -hmm. so we still know it's happening by data and, but think about people who went to school 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, they had no experience with people with disabilities. And so, mm -hmm. um, and you know, if, if despite their age, like if they are just happen to be in a segregated kind of school community or state that has a lot of segregation of students with disabilities, then like they really don't have this exposure, this um, knowledge, this firsthand experience about people with disabilities or they don't know they have experience, right? Because mm -hmm. disabilities aren't all, all visible. Like, right. you know, I present as someone without a disability, um, which I understand and recognize that like privilege of having invisible disabilities, mm -hmm. um, you know, but that's not the case for everyone. And so I think we have to also recognize and, and kind of have that conversation with people of, you know, disability doesn't have a look, right? <laughs> disability is looks like, any person, you know? True. That is so true. And so, so important to bring up. Um, and, and something else that you brought up, which leads into my next question is language. And um, I know I've been a part of many conversations, especially in the last few years, a lot of uh, conversations have taken place online. And um, I was a part of the, uh, there's an app called Clubhouse, which is just a, a big, uh, it's a voice chat. So you go into the chat rooms, but everybody kind of talks. Uh, they talk, they don't type anything. So it's actually, you're hearing people's voices. And it really picked up um, over the last few years with the pandemic. So um, there've been a lot of conversations on that app and other places and in the news 
uh, as it relates to language that is used um, as the language relates to those who have disabilities. Um, a few of the conversations that I can think of um, that have been fairly popular is not saying the R word and not using euphemisms like differently abled or handy capable. Um, and a big one is the person first versus identity first language. Uh, so those are all conversations that I've seen and, and have had with, with certain people. Uh, so can you talk about the importance of using appropriate language and uh, the effect it can have uh, when we're talking about people with disabilities? Yeah, I think this is so important. And I think first we have to really recognize that diversity is a natural form of human diversity. And I think when we recognize that, we have to then kind of normalize the conversation around disability. So I think for so long, we thought of this as like disability is like, oh, they're, you know, they're unique, they're special, they're this, they're that, right? Because they're not human-like. And so we might think of them as like, as babies, like perpetual babies, like we have to protect them and this and that. And so um, I think we've kind of come a long way, but we still have a long way to go. Um, because again, when we recognize it's a normal part of, you know, a normal form of human diversity, we kind of recognize that people with disabilities are human, right? We're, they're not like this other. And so, um, you know, I, I also think that disability is not a bad word. And I think so many people often think, oh, I can't say disability. I'm going to say like, oh, they're handy capable instead. And it's, mm -hmm. it, it kind of, I think a lot of people, including myself, we've really pushed back against that because it's like disability is not a bad word. You can say it, you know, it's not something to be ashamed of. Um, I know some, you know, different cultures have different views on it, but I think, you know, it's important like I said, like it's part of human diversity. It's people with disabilities have existed since the beginning of time. And guess what? They're going to keep existing, you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like they're not going to disappear tomorrow. <laughs> right. Yeah. We're not going anywhere. Uh, we're, we're here yeah. to stay. <laughs> like, we're here to stay. And, you know, and, you know, let's also think about like throughout someone's lifetime, they have a statistically a good chance of experiencing disability you know, at some point in their life. Um, and so I, I also think like one other thing that I think about is, you know, we have to kind of push back on these euphemisms and um, also like SPED. Like, I think that's a big one. Oh, they're a SPED student. They're in SPED. They're this. And, you know, a lot of people in the community really push back on that and even go as far as to say it's a slur. And um, personally, I agree. Um, but I think kind of one of the big debates that um, I'm sure you've seen, you know, on Clubhouse and other apps is like this idea of identity first versus person first. And so, you know, for a long time we had identity first, but it was seen as like this othering thing, like, oh, it's the disabled, right? Like this other group of people, they're not included, they're not us. And then, and then this like, um, person first language came around of like, oh, I'm a person with a disability, you know, it's a person with Down syndrome. Um, and, and that's great, right? It respects the, the human first as it's just the disability is just part of them. And then I think in the last few years, there's really, there's really been a push with some people, again, not all, like the disability right. community is not a monolith. 
Um, and so there's really been this like push of like, no, it's part of my identity. It's who I am. And so like, personally, I've come to embrace it about myself um, that I'm disabled. And again, I know not everyone uses that. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think it goes back into like choice, you know, so there's not this like fast and like hard and fast rule that's like, oh, you have to do this or you have to do that. Because again, we're not a monolith. And so, um, you know, we have to respect what, e what each person wants. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's important to note that like we have some people that don't yet, you know, they're not able to yet communicate their needs. They might not even know that they have a disability. You know, if you have a first grader, they might not understand or, or yet be told that they have a disability. Um, and so they haven't had that chance to kind of identify and, and look at their own identity and see, what do I want to be called? How do I want to think about this and recognize this within myself? And so um, it, I think it's, it, it's just something to ask. Um, mm. I know a lot of my university students are like, oh, I would just want a hard and fast rule. And um, so I always tell them, you know, start with person first. If, if the person doesn't want that, they'll tell you or you can ask. Mm -hmm. um, but especially when you're working with young kids, like you should start with person first. Um, but again, just ask, like I, I think of it as it should just be a, a a question like pronouns like what are your pronouns um you know if someone says they have a disability then just ask them like how do you like to refer to yourself person first or identity first um but yeah i i really this is such a huge topic in the field and i think yes it's very important but one thing i will say is that I think how we talk about people with disabilities mm -hmm. or disabled people is more important. So are we using deficit-based language? Are we using, um, or are we using strengths-based language? So, in a, you know, I think about like the school setting, like a K through 12, it's like, you know, I've, I'm sure many of us have looked at IEPs and we've said like, wow, I just read this entire document and there's not a single thing that they can do in according to this IEP. You know, it's all what they can't do, that they can't do this, they can't do that, they can't do this. And so, yes, language not only relates to this, like, identity first and person first, but also how we talk about people. Mm -hmm. And so we really have to be, you know, respectful. And, and again, it's part of human diversity. So people with disabilities are people, you know, yes. so, <laughs> right? Like, it seems like a simple concept, and yet we still see that, right? We still see um people saying like oh it's oh they're just differently abled it's like no right. not. <laughs> stop with the euphemisms <laughs> like well, stop it hey and like you said it's part of diversity and as uh the saying goes I, i'm sure i've used it on this podcast and i know i've heard it um heard it many times before if you met one person with a disability you've met one person with a disability so yes. where you prefer identity first language i might prefer person first language and that's okay yeah. <laughs> and i love how you said uh you know the conversations and how we're how we're talking about those who have disabilities and is it a strength or a deficit based 
uh, approach. And, and that really truly makes a, a big difference. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that can also frame like, so for me, like I just started kind of um, using identity first language. If you would have asked me three or four years ago, I didn't. Mm -hmm. um, so of course that can evolve over time too. Um, but there are people that like I've worked with or talked with or whatever over the years, and they used really harmful language about people with disabilities. And so like with, with them, I might not use identity first with them because I'm like, you really don't understand it. You are really thinking that like disability is bad and it's only who I am and, and, you know, that it makes me be seen as different. And so that's something else to consider too, is like, you know, where's the respect? Like, do they understand, um, you know, that disability is just, you know, a natural form of diversity, just like anything else. And, mm -hmm. um, and that can impact how we talk about our own identity and how we think about students too, um, or how they think about students. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Inclusion Think Tank podcast brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education. This concludes part one of my conversation with Dr. Jessica McQuiston. Join us again next time when we continue our conversation to discuss how inclusive curriculum can be beneficial to all students. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and to follow us on all social media platforms at NJCIE. Until next time.